And now your host. Hello, and welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. I am your host, Cindy Gross. I want to thank you again for making our show one of the most listened to shows through Talkline Network, where you hear us on 620 AM, 1640 AM, 93.5 FM, and to our international audience who downloads us on iHeartRadio, Spotify, Podbean, Google Podcast, Apple Podcast, and the various other outlets we are on. We have a huge show tonight with lots of entertainment, lots of celebrity. So welcome into my corner. I want to talk to you a little bit about what I see trending in entertainment. And I think it's a great trend and it's perfect for this season. I see a lot of love. I see a lot of couples. I see a lot of friendship in this love. And I see people craving this. So I want to talk a little bit about some of the couples I see that we as an audience are most looking forward to seeing over and over again. Because you know, when their shows premiere, we're going to be watching it again and again, and talking about it, and we're going to read articles about it. So here we go. I think the most obvious one, and probably probably the most anticipated one, is the one I'm going to mention first. You know who I'm talking about. Carrie and Big. And just like that, we have the Sex and the City sequel coming this December on HBO Max. Let's face it, they're probably the best couple of all time on television. After all, they started out in the late 80s, and it's now 2021. And we've gone through now several decades of their romance, their marriage, and who knows what else is coming up. Plus, their clothes, their cocktails, their love of jazz, and those people that came in between, but nothing could stop their love, whether or not it was in the United States or in Paris. Love conquered all. Many of us can't wait to see how they aged. We've been seeing the the sneak peeks. We've been following the pictures that have been released, the little tidbits that have been uh, shared. But until we see the whole show, We're not going to know, but we can't get enough of them. And I can't think of another couple that have lasted as many decades as they have. You know, they always say that there were the four girls. The city was the fifth best friend. And to all of us, Mr. Big was the sixth. Another couple we're really looking forward to is probably the most downloaded couple that everybody wants to see on Netflix. Of course, I'm talking about Virgin River and Mel and Jack. Their relationship is like those old-fashioned movies of the 30s and 40s, where you didn't have to see the explicit sex acts and the nudity, but you knew that the couples were in love just by the look of the eye contact 
that we saw, the simple touches, the tone in their voices, and the simple things they do for each other. I guess a lot of that has to do with the off-camera chemistry of the two lead actors, Martin Henderson and Alexandra Breckenridge. Because let's face it, we're all watching those Instagram stories of them baking together and uh, going behind the scenes together and sharing stories together. And, you know, not too many uh, actors are doing that. So their off-screen chemistry makes it the most anticipated couple on downloading. And we can't get enough of them. So that's another couple I see trending that you guys want to know more about. My third couple is going to be a little bit of a treat because not many of you are going to expect me to say this, but you know, I'm a cat lover and I, yes, I do watch those Hallmark movies, even when I get upset at them for really portraying Hanukkah in a very negative way. I've written about that in several articles. But again, innocent love. And what is more innocent than the love of cats? And that's right. It's been almost 10 years, but this Christmas season, I believe it's over Thanksgiving weekend, the love affair of two cats, Queenie and Ambrose, is coming back. And they are expecting that show on Hallmark to be one of the most watched movies. So it's not just me who likes it. Obviously, you do, too. And, of course, we're going to talk about the love affair between their owners. Because they were so cute. I mean, it was the only love affair I can remember where a girl actually painted a living room, uh, put together an oven, and a guy gave up a model for a veterinarian student. So those are my top three choices. And what's even better is that I'm sure a lot of my discussion tonight relates to your choices. We're going to come back with our first guest who knows a little bit about love because he's played some of the best characters in love on daytime television. I'm talking, of course, about Emmy winner Jacob Young. So stay tuned. Selling a home can be expensive and stressful. Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. Just ask Joseph M. from Brooklyn. Remax IQ made it easy. No for sale sign. I had offers in days. I saved $10,000 in commission and I was in contract fast. If you're thinking of selling, Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. To learn more, call 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. We're not a discount broker. We're Remax IQ. Speak with a top agent today. 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. Or visit RemaxIQ.com. Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. I am so happy to 
welcome our next guest. He is really no stranger to anybody who knows daytime television and who has seen him in his many roles on nighttime TV and in films. And he's here to discuss his latest project, uh, Bloodbath. Uh, Welcome to the show, Jacob Young. Oh, thanks for having me, Cindy. It's a pleasure. So tell us about Bloodbath. Um, Well, Brian had been doing a couple different projects over the years, and he'd been wanting me to jump on something. And, and, you know, I was always either busy doing something else. Um, This one just happened to work out. The context of what Bloodbath was about was really relevant. It was, you know, everything that's been going on in the news with the woke movement and Black Lives Matter. And it it deals with the whole gamut. So that's what really interested me, because, um, you know, he was he was taking a concept where you might go, is it too soon? But at the same time, I think it really it's 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 relevant and and it makes sense. Well, uh, you know what, we've actually had Brian on and, and learning about the show. It really takes the idea of what's going on right now from all angles, which is something that people don't want to talk about. And what you do it in an entertaining way. So that's even more important that people could actually sit down, relax, have their popcorn and enjoy a show dealing with current events where they're not um, worrying about it coming straight from news or, you know, who their sources are. They get it from mm-hmm. an entertaining perspective. Uh, I would be remiss if I didn't ask, of course, you are a daytime legend. I mean, more than one station, more than one show. Uh, lots of rumors about the All My Children reboot. Anything you could tell us? Yeah, I mean, as far as I know, they're still full steam ahead, last I had heard. And, uh, you know, I, I do know from what has been reported that, of course, that was reported on all the, the breakdowns that came out, was that it will going, it's going to mainly focus on the Santos and, of course, um, uh, the you know Susan Lucci's probably she's going to have some cameos and whatnot. And of course, it'll be much younger a, a younger cast. Um, and I think they'll fill in stories as it needs to go. But uh, from what I understand, is it still moving forward? I I've heard something from Eva. She had posted and said yes, absolutely, it is still moving forward. But there's still no news officially. And, and of course, we have to ask you about the bold and the beautiful because it seems everybody that comes on my show somehow ends up back on the show. <laughs> so what's going to be in the Forrester family? Because that character is always discussed and is center stage in so many storylines. Yeah. Um, you know, I never know. You never know what the future holds. But, um, you know, right now for me, um, I've been focusing on other things outside of, of of soaps, of course, which has been a fantastic ride for me. And I've 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 enjoyed it the last 20 some years. Uh, being on daytime and bold and beautiful and general hospital and all my, all my children, of course. Um, but right now I'm really focused on uh, producing and I've been producing a couple of projects, a uh, full length feature that's getting ready to, it's going to be screened at Sundance or no, sorry, Sedona first. And then we're waiting to hear availability on Sundance and South by Southwest. Jason Cook and I produced it together. Jason direct and wrote it. Um, so Jason Cook, of course, from days of our lives and general hospital, um, He's a fantastic director, award-winning director. 
uh, his last film did really, really well to festivals around the world. And we're very, very excited about this project, Four for Fun, um, which involves Brittany Sarpy, uh, Donovan Patton, who was uh, Joe on Blue's Clues and has done lots and lots of different stuff since then. He's, he's the voice of so many cartoons. It's crazy. But this is a really different role for him. And of course, I'm in it. Uh, and a girl by the name of Annika Foster, who is uh, a really, really talented up and comer. And we should say, you know, you went on The Walking Dead last season. Yeah, this season, this actually just this season, this uh, that's out right now. I, you know, I, I was recurring with a group of vigilantes that had been holed up for the last 11 seasons that we had never met um, called the Reapers. And um, there's a there's a part two to the season, which is going to focus on another another section of the show. But there's been talk. Well, they have a new series that's spinning off. And it's tales from the walking dead. And so it's going to focus on storylines that they never evolved, never completely evolved or um, characters that have been missed. So they're going to bring a lot of that back. So I have a feeling we haven't seen the last of the reapers on the walking dead. Well, we hope not. You know, we've all, I, um, you're probably similar in age to you. We've all grown up together, let's say. And, and, we, a lot of us really do miss the media. I mean, there was a time there were 15 shows on daytime television and really everybody who came from it always says it was like the best ground to learn and grow on. And we watched, uh, like I said, we watched everybody grow up. What is life like for you today? Life's good. Um, you know, I, I've, I, you know, I, again, I've had a great run on daytime television and, um, you know, I, I miss the fans. I miss, I miss that portion. I'm going to go down. I'm going to be in Clearwater, Florida, uh, this coming December for an event. So I'll be catching up with some fans, uh, and I'll be doing that with, uh, uh, Jordi, Vel, uh, Suso, um, and a couple other people. So we'll be down there doing just catching up, but, um, it's been good. Life is good. I've got two kids, three kids, rather two daughters and one son. Uh, my son's the oldest. He's 13. Uh, I've got a daughter who's seven and a daughter who's five. You see, a lot of us don't even know all this. Oh, it's really good. And anything else you want to share with us that you think we would need to know? What should we expect from your character in Bloodbath? Um, you know, he's really playing the political fence. I mean, he's the chief of police or the sergeant, main sergeant in the show, rather. And so he's used to dealing with internal issues and he's you know he's he doesn't have a stance really one way or the other he's just there to sort of work these things out eternally internally with these guys so um but it was kind of fun because it was it was a different character for me it was a, you know it's a character of authority but also at the same time has to be diplomatic to his other police officers needs so it was it was it was fun and that's really what i've been focusing mostly in my career are character characters I can develop in TV series or, or, you know, the kind of work that I'm going out for. And this was definitely one of those opportunities. I did the same thing with high school musical last year uh, on the series for Disney plus from playing EJ's father on their very character driven role. So I've just, you know, I've really taken this time over the last, gosh, it's been like five years since I've been on daytime television maybe four, four years. Um, I've just taken this time to really hone 
exactly what I want out of this dream of what being an actor means to me. And uh, taking what I've learned on the industry side and implementing into my own projects of passion. That's great. And you did play three iconic characters on daytime. Is there one that's a favorite? Yeah, I mean, you know, I got to say J.R. Chandler was probably the one that I felt the most close to just because he was pretty young still when Jesse McCartney sort of was on when he was younger and aging him. It was really a chance to develop a whole new perspective or outlook for him and how the audience perceived him because they perceived him as a teenage boy before. And now suddenly he was coming back as a man. So I, I just I felt very, very partial to that that whole storyline really. I'm uh, Alexa Havens was not the first babe choice that they were going to go with. I made sure I was like, this girl can cry on a dime. We got to hire this girl. Um, And Julie Carruthers said, if you think she's the one, then she's the one. Well, sure enough, that storyline kicked off and it, it, it took off crazy, like gangbusters, wildfire. I mean, so much so uh, France picked it up and they hadn't had the show on in France for years and years and years, but they said, no, we want to have it back. And we want to start with that storyline. And of course you work with the great late, uh, David Canary. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. You know, one of my favorite people in the world, David was, uh, not only an adamant professional, but he had a heart of gold and he was the kind of actor that you could feel safe with on, on any scene, any set, any stage. He just, he, he just, exuded the love of the craft. It made everybody try to be that much better. He made everybody that much better. It was, um, it was amazing to watch him work. And, and of course, you work with Anthony Gary. Yeah, I worked with Tony um, and Jeannie Francis. And, you know, I've worked with some of the most iconic characters in, in daytime. That's for Those sure. Those two men really uh, missed the Emmy, Mr. Daytime Emmy, the two of them. Yeah, exactly. You had their good luck charm. <laughs> yeah, no, I don't think that was me. They were my good luck charm. So where can our audience find out more about you, find out more about the live events that you're doing? I gather this is probably going to be the first of many. Yeah, well, so yeah, everything seems to be coming back a little bit. But, you know, I haven't done any of these live events in obviously a while. Most people haven't. But everybody can keep up with me mostly on my Instagram. My Instagram is probably where I'm most active, but I'm also on Twitter. Um, I'm on Instagram. It's Jacob underscore W underscore Young, or you can just type in Jacob Young, and it's the one with the blue check. So it's pretty easy to find. Um, I'm also pretty active on Facebook. So, I, I, you know, everything kind of intermingles these days. But I have a successful podcast that's been – we're in our second season. I think we have about 40 – 47 episodes in it's it airs every Wednesday. I have a different guest, different celebrity guest or somebody who's worked in the entertainment industry. And it's a mental health podcast where we discuss, you know, the things that trials and tribulations and hurdles that they've had to overcome in their lives to get where they are today. And um, of course I work with boys town. It's been around for over a century. They're my sponsor as well as lane frost brand, but boys town um, has been saving children and healing families for over 100 years. And you know, they have um, they have been my my major supporter. Uh, we I at the end of every podcast, I talk to the manager of the Boys Town National Hotline, and she chimes in about kind of cherry picks some of the things we talked about with the celebrity guests and how we can 
relate that into real life situations with our families and our children and discussing and keeping kids mental health healthy and, and our mental health. You know, and so how do we download the podcast? Where is it? Podcast is available anywhere and everywhere any podcast station is. So if it's Apple that you use, it's available there. It's available on Spotify. Um, so either one, those are the big ones, but it's, it's, it's everywhere else. There's another 25 that it runs on. So, um, and it's, uh, it's been a great, it's been a great experience. I actually really enjoy it. It's, it's, it's taken a lot of years for me to accept my own challenges in mental health. And so for me to be able to talk about my stuff freely and also talk to other people who are open about that has been, uh, it's been great. We've been lifting the veil of shame off of mental health, you know, one, one guest at a time. That's incredible. And Jacob Young, thank you for joining Cindy's Celebrity Corner. Bloodbath, where is it? Tell everybody. Uh, you can go to Bloodbath. I believe it's bloodbath.com. I, so, I think it's, a, it's, it's available to stream on there. Don't, I'm sorry. I should know this. I should have had that ready to go. I, you are right, because we did have it from Brian. Okay. Well, it, it's, it's, you know, you can, you can go to the, the private site to stream it. Um, and I'm sure eventually it's going to end up somewhere like on Amazon uh, for purchase as well. So keep your eyes and ears out for it. Well, you're busier than ever. COVID certainly didn't stop you. Uh, the Walking Dead, the podcast, Bloodbath. And of course, I'm sure the door's always going to be open in one of the soaps because you you are in a, a legend of daytime television. Jacob Young, thank you so much for joining Cindy's Celebrity Corner. Thank you, Cindy. Welcome back to the show. Isn't it fun and uh, entertaining? Well, we're talking a lot about love. And some of you know, but for those of you who don't, my favorite mitzvah or good deed is actually setting up couples because I believe in real love and I believe that real love starts by meeting and romancing and becoming good friends and I have successfully made a lot of matches and I, if not always marriage, a lot of other people I've introduced actually have maintained friendships and fixed up their friends with the people that I introduced them to. And so I don't even know how many marriages I actually made. I do know 11. And I do know that some of these marriages are now decades in. And I do know that people still call me for fixing them up. So we're going to take one of the many corners of Cindy's Celebrity Corner and dedicated to you, our audience. If you are a person who is single or know somebody who is single, you can send your information and it will be remain confidential to Cindy's Corners at gmail.com. C-I-N-D-Y-S-C-O-R-N-E-R-S at gmail.com. And we will do our best to see if we can fix you up and possibly even bring you on the show and discuss relationships. You know, relationships are something that we all crave in different ways. But they are attainable with realistic expectations and a little bit of luck. And 
a little bit of Cindy Celebrity Corner helping you out. So stay tuned and let's hope that the next marriage I make is yours. Selling a home can be expensive and stressful. Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. Just ask Joseph M. from Brooklyn. Remax IQ made it easy. No for sale sign. I had offers in days. I saved $10,000 in commission and I was in contract fast. If you're thinking of selling, Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress-free, and fast. To learn more, call 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. We're not a discount broker. We're Remax IQ. Speak with a top agent today. 800-800-1372. That's 800-800-1372. Or visit RemaxIQ.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit www.remaxiq.com slash disclaimer. Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. I am your host, Cindy Gross. Our next guest is a very familiar face because you've seen her on QVC. You've read her best-selling book. She is like everywhere. I was lucky enough to hook up with her through the L.A. Cornet Fashion Week. And she really is known as a leader for sustainable fashion, a eco lifestyle, that's her branding. Uh, please welcome to our show, Marcy Zaroff. Thank you, Cindy. It's so great to be here co-creating, which is my favorite thing in the world. <laughs> well, you're like me, I guess. You're in a whole lifestyle uh, branding and you like to be um, innovative and think outside the box. What is sustainable fashion? Sustainable fashion really is about no compromise, right? The the stigma that historically came with sustainable fashion was that fashion was crunchy, frumpy, boxy, beige, and boring. But to me, you know, style, quality, fit, color, comfort, and price do not have to be mutually exclusive with social and environmental accountability. So sustainability really needs to be part of fashion. And therein lies why I coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion in 1995 to fuse these worlds together and show that we can style the world of change and change the world of style, bridging the tree hugger and the fashionista so that you can have no compromise and you can look good, feel good, and do good in the world at the same time. And you've actually extended this into the world of food. You have a best-selling book, Eat Well, Live Well. Tell us how that all relates to the eco lifestyle. Yeah, so actually, the book that I wrote is called Eco Renaissance. That book that I posted was a, a friend's book. But my, yes, my book is called Eco Renaissance, which is does connect food, beauty, art, wellness, fashion, and business, which are all of the spokes in the wheel of change. It's all about the lifestyle. And so eco-renaissance is about the rebirth of renaissance, right? The rebirth of humanity built on through the lens of design that we're all a part of an ecosystem and that 
Yes, and, which is my opening chapter, which is about give people what they want. In food, that's taste. In beauty, it's scent and functionality. In fashion, it's style and quality. And then, oh, by the way, and ethically made, sustainably sourced, organic, fair trade, regenerative, biodegradable, low impact diet, all of that yummy stuff that's baked into your products. So I can connect agriculture to popular culture and source to story across every lifestyle choice that we make. You know, this is so incredible. And I'm sorry I got the book, but you know, I I love how and this is one thing that attracted me to you and having you as a guest. You were part of L.A. Fashion Week and you right away included all the designers in our correspondence. You are a team player. And I think that's something really important to bring out because in this world today, where there's so much conflict and anger. It's so nice to see somebody who is a, a brand developer, a team player. How did you get started in all this? Yeah. So, well, when I was uh, 16 years old, a girlfriend gave me a book called Living in the Light by Shakti Gawain. And it struck a very deep chord in me that there's more than what we just see. Right. And I grew up in South Florida and I got best dressed in high school. Right. My big fashion background, not to say much when you're from South Florida, but I always had a passion for fashion. But I also when I read that book, Mm -hmm. it started my journey into the world of health and wellness. And in 1990, I co-founded what's known today as the Institute for Integrative Nutrition, which is the world's largest holistic nutrition school, certifying over 150,000 people worldwide as health coaches. And the program is now in over 150 countries around the world online. And that sort of started my journey and understanding kind of like in the spirit of Maslow's hierarchy of needs, that our first basic need to address is food. But then what happened is once that seed of consciousness got planted, I inevitably started to say, what else? What's next? What more? Right. Because you start to understand that eating good food that also is healthy is like having the best of all worlds. So then my dear, dear friend, the founder of Aveda and I connected, he became my mentor for over 25 years. Um, one of my best friends, and uh, I actually got married at his house on 11-11-11, which this week, is my, this week is my 10-year anniversary. But that sums up, when you talk about team player, my life philosophy, which is about one plus one equals 11. We're stronger together than we are apart, right? It's exponential, Absolutely. right? Absolutely. So, so moving into opening the first Aveda Concept Salon in New York with Horse, the founder of Aveda, connecting food to beauty. And then I discovered there was a missing link in that whole wellness equation when it came to fashion, where I started. And so I coined and trademarked the term eco-fashion in 1995. And people thought I was crazy. Like, why would anyone buy into that idea, Marcy? Those are two completely dichotomous worlds. People who are into fashion are not into the environment and health and wellness and social responsibility. And and people who are into social justice and, you know, environmental awareness are not into fashion. I'm like, wait a minute, that's not true because I'm that person. So that was what, you know, really propelled me over the last 26 plus years to pioneer the sustainable fashion movement 
um, and found, you know, founded many companies along the way um, and, you know, serial entrepreneur and just keep making it more and more accessible and innovative and collaborative and to where I am today. So I have to ask you, what are the trends? You just came from a huge, successful fashion show. I'm very happy to say many Jewish designers were featured. Many Israeli designers were featured. What were the trends you saw that uh, relate to your branding and what's going to go through to the average consumer? Yeah, so I would say probably the three topics that are really front and center in fashion right now. One is regenerative agriculture or organic agriculture from the standpoint of cotton, because cotton is one of our leading fibers in the fashion industry. And so we, you know, a third of the world's textiles are cotton. So I'm very passionate. I'm a soil junkie about really looking at cotton as a part of the solution to climate change versus part of the problem as it is today. Secondly, circularity, right? The cradle to cradle mindset. What we take from the earth, we have to give back to the earth. We have to look at material health and material reuse, as well as water stewardship, renewable energy, and social justice. And then the third big topic is technology. And that's where Cornette really came in. This fashion show I was at was mind-blowing because it shows where we're going with the innovation in technology, and their focus, of course, is direct-to-garment printing, eliminating the use of all the toxic inks and plastisols and the runoff and the need for screen printing and all the high minimums, which makes for waste. And how do we not only look at circularity, but also get, you know, look at a zero waste approach to fashion and keep things out of the landfills because, you know, 5% of our landfills are just textile waste and, you know, 50% of our garments end up in the landfills, right? So, you know, how do we look at, you know, creating a lean manufacturing system where we can produce garments in a one-off customized way? And that is really exciting because it's going to change the whole game of fashion. And then, of course, I'm going to ask you, what are the three trends in food? Okay, well, I would say plant based for sure. And I happen to be vegan. Um, So, you know, it's I think looking at every which way that we can reduce or eliminate our, you know, need for meat and animal foods. Um, I think secondly, definitely organic and regenerative, because that is, again, going back to what I talked about with with fashion and cotton, you know, cotton and and food crops are growing in agriculture side by side. In fact, 60% of a cotton plant goes into our food stream because all those seeds that are ginned out of cotton get broken down into cottonseed oil and end up in our breads and our snacks and many products on our shelves if you read the labels. So if you're not buying organic food, you know, then you're looking at food that is ridden with toxic chemicals because cotton is the most heavily sprayed industry in agriculture. And then thirdly, probably gluten-free, 
right? Which is, you know, there's been such a rise of, you know, of health conditions because of the way we're spraying and the GM, the dependence on GMO agriculture, which is changing wheat as we once knew it and creating, you know, challenges in our own systems. So when it's not organic and regenerative, you know, it actually can do damage to our system as we're seeing with, you know, with wheat today. So what do you think we're coming upon holiday season and, you know, everybody's going to make all those side vegetables and all those stuffings. I think what is the number one trendy vegetable of holidays 2021? Oh, goodness. Um, you know, it's funny because my my kids joke about this when they were growing up that they, you know, they were eating quinoa and kale and things that like nobody had ever heard of back in the day. Um, they're now in their mid 20s. Um, but today, I think, you know, they're so front and center. So I think I think greens have made this like very cool comeback where, you know, even in restaurants where you see like meat products like pork with kale. Right. You kind of have this dichotomy, but but it's happening. And I think um, I'm a huge fan of kale. It's so rich in B vitamins and nutrients. And I, I think we're going to see a lot more of that coming to life. Where can our audience find you and uh, follow up with you? Well, um, I am at Marcy Zaroff on all of the social media platforms, and that's M-A-R-C-I-Z-A-R-O-F-F at MarcyZaroff.com as well. And then my companies, I'm the founder and CEO of Eco Fashion Corp, which we call a greenhouse of brands because we share that common DNA of you know, in our soil, in our, in our soul, we really focus on expansion of organic and regenerative agriculture and circularity and all the things I've spoke to. And so our, our uh, website is ecofashioncorp.com. And that will take you to our four verticals. One is called Metaware, which is a B2B manufacturing company. We do all private label manufacturing for other companies, brands, and retailers, all sustainable from farm to finish fashion. And then we have three of our own house brands, two on QVC. I'm going live tomorrow night. So check out Seed to Style on QVC and check out Farm to Home on QVC. And then the website is marcyqvc.com. And then also Yes And, which is our newest baby, which is a direct-to-consumer brand that you can find at joinyesand.com as well as on Instagram at yesand. Wow, Marcy Zarif, we didn't even discuss the products. We didn't (laughs) discuss QVC. You are definitely invited back anytime to Cindy Celebrity Corner and uh, fascinated. You you have your hands in everything (laughs) so timely now. And uh, thank you for joining us. Thanks so much for having me, Cindy. And let's all eat the change, be the change, and wear the change we all wish to see in the world. Thank you. Thank you. Selling a home can be expensive and stressful. Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar stress-free and fast just ask joseph m from brooklyn remax iq made it easy no for sale sign i had offers in days i saved ten thousand dollars in commission and i was in contract fast if you're thinking of selling 
Remax IQ has created a smarter home selling experience. Our successful real estate agents in New York will sell your home for as little as 2% commission and get you top dollar, stress free, and fast. To learn more, call 800 800 1372. That's 800 800 1372. We're not a discount broker. We're Remax IQ. Speak with a top agent today. 800 800 1372. That's 800 800 1372. Or visit RemaxIQ.com. Terms and conditions apply. Visit www.remaxiq.com slash disclaimer. Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. And as you know, we uh, frequently have as part of our series, Jews in the media, people who have worked, whether or not it's print or electronic media. And we have somebody who has worked in the media who has a brand new book out. Matt Rosenberg is the author of the brand new book, and it's called What Next Chicago? Notes of a pissed off native son. And it's very interesting. It's getting rave reviews, not only because of the content, but because of the way it's written. It's very entertaining. And it really discusses issues that people, regardless of what side uh, you think politically, people have to address because it affects their everyday lives. So Matt, welcome to the show. Hey, it's a real pleasure. Thank you for having me on. So you're a pissed off native of Chicago and um, Chicago has a lot of Jews there. So uh, I'm glad you could be a part of our series. Tell us a little bit about the book. Sure. I was uh, sitting there in 2020 in Seattle where my wife and I moved. In 1994, I had lived in Chicago for 30 years. I always came back. My family was here. Deep, deep attachments to the place. It's still my home, really. I was watching the city just go completely haywire, like many other big cities after the heinous death of George Floyd. I think the turning point for me was May 31st of 2020, when 18 people got killed in one day in Chicago, uh, and I decided to come back. And I moved into an Irish neighborhood on the near south side called Bridgeport, where two Mayor Dailies have come from and three other Chicago mayors. And from there, I went deep into the south side, past Hyde Park, the University of Chicago neighborhood where I grew up on the south side, deeper in. And I went to talk to black people in their homes and workplaces. Number one, to get their life stories, success stories, which are very interesting and which are in the book and I think generally need to be publicized, uh, but also to get their take on, hey, what's gone wrong? And how do we fix it? We've got violent crime. We've got city finances that are in a mess. We've got public schools and a, and a court system here that are both broken. So a lot of problems. I wanted to hear, I wanted to hear what people in the hood had to say. So I went and got that. Also talked to some experts, some people who've worked with Barack Obama, others and uh, tried to put it all together in this book. So uh, you mentioned that uh, you spoke to some people from the um, Barack Obama's administration and people who work there. It's no secret that 
uh, many in the Biden administration are from Obama's administration. And you've got to feel that some of the people you spoke to are saying like it's deja vu. Um, a lot of the problems here are deja vu all over again, you know, as Yogi Berra, I think, once said. Um, I had a chance to talk to a guy named Arnie Duncan, um, who I think is a good guy. He uh, was the U.S. Education Secretary under President Barack Obama. He also was the head of the Chicago Public Schools uh, before that under uh, Mayor Richard M. Daley. Um, we talked about school choice. We talked about charter schools in Chicago. He's a supporter. Um, like myself, he believes if a school is failing, like seriously failing year after year, a public school, you need to shut it down. And that includes charter schools. Um, he also I'm going to just stop you right there because Go as ahead. a former teacher and somebody who is suing the New York Department of Education mm -hmm. in one of the most corrupt school districts in the country that's always in the news. In fact, it's been in the news now since even Eric Adams was elected mayor here. Mm -hmm. I will tell you, maybe he told you that, but he certainly did not act on that as uh, the education secretary. So that's part of the problem. What, you know, they say one thing, but they do another. And the people that they hurt most are their mm -hmm. constituents, especially black and minority constituents. There is double talk here in Chicago when it comes to closing uh, poorly performing, I'll call them plain vanilla public schools, right? The non-charter schools. And in fact, and you get this, the teachers union, and I don't know where you stand on all this, but I'll tell you honestly what I think, okay? Here in Chicago, the Chicago Teachers Union, which, by the way, I separate from teachers, right? The leadership of the union is one thing. The rank and file is another. The teachers union here it really is on what I call a mad monopolistic power quest. They don't like school choice. They don't like accountability. And recently in our state capitol, they put a clause into another education bill that prevents the city of Chicago school board from closing any poorly performing school. That's a moratorium. Not a good idea. School closures are a third rail in Chicago. I don't know about New York City. You get people in the African-American community calling uh, the city racist for even closing a poorly performing school. And I believe schools that are not serving the neighborhood population well, people are voting with their feet and leaving. The test scores are really poor. You, you got to take action. So uh, some things I kind of agree with, but a lot I don't. First of all, many teachers know what's going on, and they've watched the retaliation of teachers like myself who are whistleblowers. So they are afraid. And now many of them are retired, and they're living with amazing pensions and all kinds of benefits. And they're the first ones to say, we saw it all, we knew it all. And why do you have a generation of Black Lives Matter and entitlement millennials? Because for 20 years, they were taught opinion versus fact, bias and prejudice. A lot of the teachers that were hired, especially in these schools, were not really qualified to teach. They, the um, exams to uh, evaluations are biased. 
So there is a lot to that. And in fact, in New York, I could tell you because I work with a group of black and minority parents in Queens, New York, they're actually ready to to sue the Department of Education because of uh, the poor test scores. But you know what? Education is just a small part of the book and a small part of you. You are also, like I said, you are a former taxi driver. Mm -hmm. That's correct. And a limo driver. All right, limo driver. So how how does that uh, relate to becoming an author of this book? You know, I think, and in the book, there's a lot of storytelling. And so I definitely got some good stories from back then. But that was really just part of the flow of my life. You know, after two years of college, doing some interesting things, working on a, uh, a corruption investigation, a sting investigation called the Mirage Tavern, something I'm very proud of participating in. Uh, And after working on a Chicago political campaign and getting an alderman elected, a reform independent alderman elected to the Chicago City Council, I dropped out of college after two years. I felt like I needed to get my head together. So what was I going to do? So I got a job as a limo driver working for a guy named Tony Ribaldo. Swear to God, (laughs) not making it up. And he was very Ribald. After that, drove a cab. Finally, uh, went back to school at Brandeis University, of all places. Um, so, you know, studied Marx. I had Marxists shoved down my throat by my sociology professors at Brandeis. And actually, that was good for me in the long run, because now I can decode what's going on in the United States and in our big cities. So uh, it all kind of fits together, you know. And you've lived in several cities across the country. You've been in Seattle. Yes. And that's been a fascinating sort of laboratory. And I will tell you, like downtown Seattle and Portland and San Francisco, all no-go zones. I mean, they've really degraded. Uh, The thing is, you know, there's still refuge in the outer precincts of those cities. There's still beautiful neighborhoods and a good quality of life great neighborhood shopping districts, the whole deal. The public schools, eh, not so much. You know, same problem here in Chicago, similar problems in New York and other cities. But uh, it's a very different culture. And here's a fascinating thing, and I think it pertains to Chicago and New York and Newark and Detroit versus places like uh Seattle and even Dallas, Jacksonville and uh, Phoenix, you know, you look at where business is thriving and where population is moving. There is a willingness and ability to innovate, to economically innovate. And I fear for old line northern industrial cities like Chicago there. Our heyday here was 1950. We had 3.6 million people. You know, now we've got 2.7. Uh, you know, there were the stockyards. There was uh, the meatpacking plants, the steel plants, right? The automobile plants, that post-war economy still cranking Correct. along. We haven't figured out what to do since then. Meanwhile, the taxes go up, the schools are failing, the corruption is endemic, and the violence and we, we should talk a little bit about the violence problem here, the role of parents and the people that are trying to do it right. Because right now, there is no bigger issue in Chicago 
then there's chronic violence. So a lot of things are driving people away. The middle class is gone and we are not innovating, including at the policy level. And I submit that that is crucial. Well, obviously you love Chicago. It's your roots and you're very proud of it. And one of the, uh, your, um, reviews for the book, which is a great praise, says, what happened to Chicago? That, I'm sorry, that's Matt Rosenberg's question and mine as well. His loving tribute to our hometown is a moving, sensitive, humane, and trench cart critical assessment. Read it and weep. Thank you. Yes, (laughs) yes, that was Glenn Lurie. And I tried to put that across. And I think my love for the city comes through in the book, partly uh, because I I discovered new things, right? I found folks to talk to and their stories in a way have become part of my story because I'm the guy waving my hand saying, look, the city is really messed up. But you know what? Change also happens one household at a time, right? One family at a time. And hey, look at this guy. Look at this couple. And so there are people like Daryl Smith, like Latasha and Ron Fields, like Jesse Mack, like the Volker brothers, you know, um, with amazing stories behind them. People who started out really, really rough, right? In the hole in the eight, you know, behind the eight ball, behind bars, in some cases, um, who who turned it around, right, who totally turned it around. And now, you know, two parent families raising their kids, right, entrepreneurs, neighborhood advocates, uh, you know, labor advocates for African Americans, there's some amazing stories out there. So Part of my shtick, if you will, is, you know, I say, go find those stories. And the more success stories that we can pile up from the African-American communities, particularly in our big cities, the more of those stories we can get out there, the more, you know, sometimes they say, you know, show by doing, right? Mm -hmm. Instead of just saying, oh, the policy permutation that we need here is X. You know, people's eyes are going to glaze over. Show them how somebody turned around their life. That's the big thing to me. Well, this is a great book for uh, gift giving, Hanukkah, Christmas. Uh, where can our audience purchase the book? They can get it at online only at Amazon or Barnes and Noble. So you just go into the search box at either one of those sites and enter what next, <clears throat> what next Chicago. You can also just Google what next Chicago in my name, Matt Rosenberg, and you'll get directed right to the Amazon page. Matt Rosenberg, thank you so much for joining Cindy Celebrity Corner. The book is fantastic. I, I have to tell you people, this is a book like, And I think it came across in the interview. It doesn't matter what political party, what your religious background is, what your cultural background is. We all agree we are people looking for the American dream and we all want something better for our future. Whether it's New York, Chicago, California, Seattle, we all agree this is one America. Cindy, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having me on. Thank you. 
Welcome back to Cindy's Celebrity Corner. I am your host, Cindy Gross. And just like that, the hour flew by. I promised you great guest, great conversation, and lots of information to think about. I hope you enjoyed the show. Please let me know what you think. You can reach out to me through my website, Cindy's Corners, and email me through there. Or you can reach me and follow me on Facebook and Instagram. Never miss an episode. Download it on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcast, Podbean, Jewish Podcast, and you can also listen to us through the Talk Line Radio Networks. <laughs>